0: Hi, welcome back to In the Blue Corner. I'm Adam Scott Billows, and I'm here with my co-host extraordinaire, David Hazzoni.
1: Hey there. What's going on? We are at the King David Hotel in the Oak Room. The Oak Room. Why is it called the Oak Room, David? Because everything you look at is oak. And we're here with our very
0: special guest, Mordechai Ben Abraham. Mordecai, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Basically, you know, I'm a Jewish convert, a rabbinical student here in Jerusalem, and I've been living here for almost four years. You're originally from L.A. Is yeah, that correct. Yeah. So, Just a little background. My parents, you know, grew up. My mom's from uh, Mississippi, and my dad is from Ohio. My mom grew up most of her life in California, but they grew up in pretty much like very like Christian homes in in the '70s. Like a lot of African Americans, they got influenced by on college campuses by, you know, Islam and this kind of like separating themselves from the Christian ideology, which they kind of looked at as like, you know, being racist and justifying racism and lynching and those types of things. And they got into a certain type of Islam, which was like Sufism. It's not political base at all, it's it's very much like self development, self-exploration, you know. But really my parents and I think Many people who connected to religions outside of Christianity that were African American wasn't necessarily about the full ideology of Islam, as it was saying that, like, we didn't want to believe that Jesus was God. And we wanted to believe that there was omnipresent entity that existed in the world. You know, people went different directions with that. My parents got very into like therapy and working on yourself. So like as kids, you know, we grew up like a family therapist, you know, our parents were like, they said like, we came from dysfunctional backgrounds. We don't want to pass it on to you guys. And so they invested a lot of money into a personal development. Eventually our family, we got involved in the Kabbalah center and uh, we were there for probably like close to a decade. That's where a lot of my outlook, you know, my later, teens to you know 20s was very much looking at life through
1: these lenses because even though my parents had their belief system this was actually more structured maybe you can expand on that Mm -hmm. what were the core ideas that you took from the Kabbalah center it was a very like natural integration because you know my parents were very much on working on yourself
2: now the limitation that i saw growing up with therapy was that therapy allows you to reflect and to kind of like understand what's happened in your life and how to process what you're going through. But without the concept of God, there's no real dynamic of like full recreation, you know, becoming something different. And so when I came to the Kabbalah Center, that was like very much the focus, is like becoming like greater than your imagination, being able to see your experiences in your life as as a catalyst to achieve great things in technology, you know, as we call it technology um like things like shabbat and things like the torah and you know brachas and kosher and all these different things were all spiritual mechanisms to take you to the next level so it was kind of like a completion or or an assistance to the things that i grew up with because i didn't have tools you know on how to express any of these things and a lot of people ask the question like what's the difference between judaism and islam for you you know and for me i didn't see the same tools on achieving a self-correction You know, with myself, you know, you hear a lot of times, you know, there's a big misinterpretation of the concept of tikkun olam, right? So the way that we understand it in Judaism is that, you know, every person is a world, you know, every person is a world and all these universes kind of like mesh together, you know, the same way we see it in the galaxy above us, you know, we kind of all mix together. And so the idea is to to correct yourself, you know, to improve yourself, to improve your character, to improve what you're about, and that's correcting the world. For me, at that time in my life, it was just, you know, it was pure light, and my parents were going through different challenges in their marriage, and the call Center played a big role in bringing them back together and and teaching them different tools of Shalom bias and how to see things, and so that was... um,
1: so what was the moment that made you decide, after all the teaching you'd been exposed to, mm-hmm. to take the step to become a Jew? Well, uh, when I, I came to um, Israel
2: in uh, 2004 with the Kabbalah Center, it was probably one of the biggest moments in my entire life because they took us to all the holy sites and going up north to Sfas and and these were just like mind blowing dynamics because there was so much prior training or prior education on the concept of energy. Right? You know, there's a physical energy and there's a non physical energy. And and all I was ever introduced to, you know, in Calabasas, to materialism was physical energy. And so this non physical energy thing was something I understood intellectually, but I didn't experience it until I came to Israel. And when I came to Israel, I just wanted to be Jewish when I came here. I was like, this is it, this is done. And I was telling my teachers and they were at the classroom, like, calm down, calm down. You're in the high right now, and it's Rosh Hashanah, and you know, it just, you know, calm down. But when I came back to the States, it was still this burning thing inside of me that I just wanted to connect to this light more and more. And the founder, Roth Berkey, his son, Yehuda Berg, who was a, at the time very involved in the Kabbalah Center? He was the first person to kind of like introduce me to teachings that they didn't teach at the Kabbalah Center, like things like the gumara things like the uh, the Mishnah, things like different uh, writers, you know, and things like that. And I was like, wow, you know, it was a huge experience. And all at this time, I had friends that I grew that actually were in the Kabbalah Center with me for years, and they started to become bachuva through Ishtora in Los Angeles. And so they started to take me to lectures at different lectures they had there. And that was kind of like the beginning, but I would say that the moment where it was just like, I couldn't live without the Torahs when I came, wanting to be Jewish and wanting this to be my life, because I saw all these other Jews, you know, that were very different than when I was exposed at the Kabbalah Center, like walking around and, and focused and just connecting to this life force nonstop. And, but I will say that moment came uh, in, um, right
1: around Rosh Hashanah here in Israel. Okay. so you had an experience, you, you it was very intense, it was a spiritual experience, yeah. but when you convert, you're not just taking on God in a teaching, you're also taking on a, a whole bunch of other Jews. Yeah. What was that like? Did you want to embrace a whole people as your people? I mean, you know, the story of Ruth in the Bible is considered sort of the prototypical conversion story and, yeah. and her line is, you know, your people is my people and your God is my God. Okay, so she even puts the people first What was that like for you? You Again, an African-American grew up in Calabasas, comes to a realization as an individual, a spiritual realization, and then all of a sudden you've got all these cousins that you didn't have before. Um, What's that like? How is it for you and how have you been received? In, in your own mind? Right after I went to
2: Israel in 2004, I was like, where's the energy at? You know, there's more energy. So, you know, my parents' background being influenced by Islam, that next year I actually went to Saudi Arabia and I went to Hajj. That's interesting. Yeah. What was Hajj like? It's a mind blowing experience. It's like over a million people there, people from all over. People get
1: killed every
2: year. Yeah, people get trampled. Yeah. yeah. When I was there, there was a lot of tramplings yeah. happened. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's like a Who concert for Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like uh,
0: the procession of Saudi. Sol- money. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. People, died,
1: died. people died. 35 people died. people
0: So far, yeah. So far, so far, so yeah. far
2: yeah. So, um, that it was just kind of like Israel just took my heart away, like, to such a degree. It was just like, first of all, the whole Jewish dynamic for me was kind of like, why? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel connected? And when I came to Israel, first, the teachings of the wisdom of the Torah and Kabbalah was just like, wow, you know? I remember the first Shabbat that I ever went to.
0: To be your first Shabbat, if I'm correct, it was in Israel or it was outside no, it was, of Israel? No, it was at the Kabbalah Center. It was at
2: the Kabbalah Center. Was, was the Center. I, I remember waking up the next morning, I'd laying in my bed and being like, what happened? What happened? I'm telling you, and I was upset about it. Why do I feel this way? You know what I mean? Like, I, I shouldn't feel this way. This isn't, this you know, Shabbat and, and, and this stuff. This is for Jewish people. I'm not Jewish, you know? And then it compounded it when I went to Israel. I was done at that point. I'm just like, you know what? Okay, the my first Rosh Hashanah, Was in Israel. Was in Israel. Okay. It was just one of these experiences where it's just like, is it this place or is it just, you know, holy places in general? Like if I went somewhere in India, if I went somewhere else, would I have the same feeling? So when I was there in Jerusalem, I remember looking at the Temple Mount and saying to myself, it's like, this is like unbelievable. Like I just, I remember grabbing my chest the way I'm doing right now and just thinking like, this is unbelievable. And I was like thinking like, maybe it's like this in Mecca too. You know, like people go pilgrimages all over, you know, the world and I've heard about it my whole life and maybe it's the same thing, you know. So I, but I feel like in order for me to be true about this path that I felt that I needed to go on with Torah Judaism, I had to go and experience that, you know, like I had to see what it was, I had to be around, because we didn't grow up around other like Muslims per se, you know what I mean, like my parents were doing their own thing. Did you grow up going to mosque? Not,
0: and not you pray five times
2: a day. No, not real. I mean, not real. I mean, like, see,
0: that's the difference. I'm not trying they, to cut you yeah. off, but like that's kind of the difference between like the Kabbalah center, Sufi center approach. It's very spiritual, very mystical, very experiential, but not very orthopraxy.
2: It wasn't orthopraxy, but my parents did pray and they did fast during Ramadan, and I mean they had. I mean they were they were serious about it. I mean they, it wasn't, um, but it was just. The, the perspective of it.
1: It wasn't a political, and so... Um, I mean, so at this point in the story, you're still feeling your way. You were raised as a Muslim, right? Yeah. So he's raised
0: as a Sufi, which I think is very important to acknowledge, because there's many similarities between Sufism and, and, and Kabbalah. And, yeah, right. and not only that, there's a Sufi center, just like there is the Kabbalah center, and they're very similar. Hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, based on his story so far, or how he's explained it. It's not surprising that he would eventually like search out the Kabbalah center as another, I mean, like to me, and I mean this in a, in a very positive way, it seems like in your twenties, you were a spiritual junkie, Fill, if I'm correct, fill the that materialism kind of burned in you, so to speak, like, you know, and that, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but you know, it sounds like you went from one thing to another looking for what was right for you because the norm of what you were told wasn't doing it for
2: you yeah you know and the thing is too when i was young when i was working for my dad and going to college actually a friend of mine we started an internet company mm-hmm. you know and this was in the early dot-com time and i remember like wanting to learn as much about business as possible and many of the ceos that i read about were very spiritual people and they quoted the bible many times and there's different religious books based off of business whatever and that really you know opened me up to the idea of spirituality but I, I met someone who was at the Kabbalah Center, it was actually a girl, and I was so blown away by her. I was like, wherever you're going, I'm going. But I remember the first time I went to the Kabbalah Center, they had these introduction lectures. I was sitting there and it was just like, I always knew that I was going to become great, I just my entire life, always like, I'm going to do something in this world. And the wisdom that I was receiving in this introduction lecture, I was like, ah, this is what I'm supposed to learn to get me there. Wow. Yeah. And, what, and what exactly was in that lecture? What was in that lecture was the idea that, number one, it was an introduction to the Zohar, which is a big part of the the whole, the Kabbalistic outlook. Yes, there. Kabbalah does a very good job at sensationalizing, you know, everything connected to it, but I needed that at that level. You know, if they would have just said, oh, you're probably never going to understand this book, but all the wisdom of the universe is inside of it. I probably would have like said, all right, thank you very much. <laughs> but they made it very accessible to the point where if you just saw the Hebrew letters, you know, you could do all these supernatural things. You could tap into all these extraordinary abilities. And this has been the secret wisdom that's been hidden away from the world. And the- based on the maturation of your spiritual journey, do you feel that like you still
0: associate with stuff like that, or do you feel that you've developed in a way where you can kind of put aside the sensational? and now are more taking the rational approach to the spirituality. You've gone through many changes over the last, mm-hmm. let's say, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, even your understanding of Judaism yeah. or what people refer to as Judaism has changed even since I've known you. Yeah, yeah. You know, so how do you feel the spiritual journey has been for you in terms of how you're interpreting the things that you've learned? And then kind of looking back, how, how are they not what you thought they were? Um, I
2: would say that tools, in the, let's say, the perspective or hushkafa that I got through the early stages of my spirituality is what separates me from the group today, which allowed me to continue to grow and to burn. Because it's not just when I'm learning the Gemara, it's not I'm not just learning a bunch of laws. Like, I'm connecting to a higher spirituality. I'm bringing Kedusha into a chef. And to, I think I've been able to take those virtual points that I learned in the beginning and being able to expand those into different ways of manifesting it. Like, I mean, even my Rebbe in the morning, like, Mordecai Peshat Natsod. I I feel like every day is like the beginning. I feel like I'm constantly changing. I'm constantly evolving, but going forward,
0: as an observant Jew now, given yeah. the kind of Diet Coke spirituality that you were chasing for so long, if that makes sense, okay. like uh, what is the difference now having implemented? many rigorous things into your life. Yeah. You know, going from, oh, I want this energy and I feel this energy and I I feel this and I feel that, to I do this and I do that and I take this action that brings holiness down from above by my action. Yeah. I mean, I would assume for you that that would be a great, not only intellectual but spiritual change. It maybe it's not. I, I can't speak for you
2: becoming a jew is very responsibility based it's not just practices and you, you could say the same thing you know with even with islam to a degree as well for sure but um it's very responsibility based where it's not the same like maybe whimsical outlook that i had in the beginning in terms of like wow this is this new reality this is a bigger picture as were these are things that i have to do like today right now i'm fasting you know, it's a tenth mm-hmm. of Tibet, and it's a fast day for us. It's still a very spiritual fast. You know? I'm still in the Hajj, so the Hajj didn't didn't cut.
1: It didn't overwhelm the way that your visited. <laughs>
2: it wasn't. It did not. It did not do the same thing as it did. Um, it, it did not do the same thing. There are some very powerful experiences there. Like, you know, they have uh, the caver of um, Ishmael and Hagar. They, uh, even the word Hajj itself. It's really. It's named after Hagar. Oh really? It's, it's Hagar. It, it's when Sarah kicked her out of the house. You know, for the, the issues that was going on there and the journey that she went on, they, they, they it's named after her. Hmm. And um, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, the Kaaba is a very uh, interesting, controversial idea. I mean, it's not it's not so clear what the Kaaba is fully. So in the Islamic tradition, the Kaaba is a very interesting thing. They said Adam, Adam Rishon built this first house of worship. And he said, during the flood of Noah, it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So... Abraham comes generations later, right. and, and he gets his message from God after Sarah passes away to rebuild, this is Islamic tradition, I've right. not seen this anywhere inside of Judaism, um, that he's given this commandment to rebuild this house of Adam. And so he builds it, and then so as he's building it, one of the angels brings down the stone from above mm-hmm. to like show, uh, you know, whatever it's supposed to show. But so it's kryptonite. It, it could
1: be. It could be. It could be the original Kryptonite. It could be. It could be. Because what's interesting is in Jewish tradition, there's also a stone, Mm. okay, at the temple. In the Temple Mount, there's a stone Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be the stone from which the entire entire universe is the the foundation. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. Many of the traditions that we hold for the Temple Mount, they kind of hold for the Kaaba. Um, So I want to switch gears right now. I I would really like to know your take on the current political climate, uh, you know. Uh, Jews and African-Americans, the story, uh, the narrative that we share as uh, separate communities is quite similar. Uh, You know, the entire birth of the community uses the Exodus to tell their story. The entire Underground Railroad was told through stories of the Bible. Um, You know, what is it like for you right now to see this type of, I guess you could say social cleavage between African-Americans and, and, and Jews right now that was originally articulated to be a, a white supremacist cleavage between Jews and white supremacists. And now the last two anti-Semitic attacks were, were, were not by, uh, in America, were not by white supremacists, they were by African-Americans. What is this like for you right now? Because I know this is like a huge part of your work. And how do you feel like you're going to be working to bridge this gap?
2: I think to to kind of like understand the progressive direction towards this huge separation between both communities, you have to look at the Middle Eastern motivation to integrate and infiltrate in, in America, period. And so many of the black Muslims in the early stages of the black Muslims had interactions with people from Saudi Arabia and other people, and much of the money that came over to America for into the black community was from places like Pakistan, from Saudi Arabia, to build a lot of the mosques, a lot of the, the masjids that you see came from money over there. That was the beginning of it. And they had certain standards of the people who were preachers or imams inside of these mosques, they had to say certain things. Not saying at that time it was necessarily anti-Semitic, but they weren't things that necessarily... it didn't build anything in a black community, per se. You know what I mean? It wasn't like an anti-church, or anti-Christianity thing, that did exist, but in terms of actually... It's not just African-American Muslims that there's a problem with. I mean, over the last 30 years,
0: there has been a major movement of funding African-American studies, um, Promoting the idea of intersectionalism and that the African-American struggle is tied up with the Palestinian national movement.
1: And forgets them to Palestine. hundred percent.
0: Also, also the, I guess you could say, use of radical Muslim groups who perpetuate this idea of a revolutionary socialist movement that would support the African-American community that creates this type of separation between African-Americans and the rest of the American community, white people, brown people, Jewish, Gentile, Muslim, whatever. You know, there's almost like this negation of the rest of the people that it's almost torn African-Americans away from their natural allies in a way. Do you understand what I'm saying? I
2: I hear that, I hear that, but I I mean, I think that from an African-American perspective, they don't necessarily feel like they have any allies per se. I mean, there's been different groups that have utilized their narrative, you know, and, and utilized for their political benefit in... in, in I don't know, black
0: people and Jews used to get along real well. No, I
2: understand that. No, I agree with that. And there is a lot of Jews that still get along with African 100%. They're just more on the left. But what I would say is, is like, the dynamic with Palestine that you guys brought up, I'll say you saw a lot of that when the, the Black Lives Matters movement happened when Obama was in office. If you notice, like, those big protests and those big things, uh-huh. you started to see Palestinian flags showing up. At these events, and they were marching with them, and this whole thing. So again, you know, it's you, this isn't necessarily from a Muslim perspective. This is just um, regular African American and political activism. Right, but
0: is it Jew? I grew up understanding at a very early age that Jews came in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Yeah. I mean, like, that is not something that is perpetuated, if anything, it's antagonized by the radical socialist left, so to speak, and not only that, I mean, you see an articulation of anti-white rhetoric that literally cuts the Jewish community almost by a third, so to speak, and, and not only that, has completely and utterly created a cleavage that never existed between black people and Jews, and, and they believe it, and there's no evidence to back it up? If that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm honestly perplexed by it. I mean, I grew up being told I'm not white, I'm Jewish. There is something happening in terms of the communities that are both major minorities, large minorities, who would be natural allies and have been natural allies since the late, you know, 19th century. Yeah, I mean, like it's just confusing to me.
2: Well, I think the game changer in the whole discussion is Israel. I think Israel, the development of Israel, the growth of Israel, has the Jewish community hasn't that's here in Israel has not necessarily even reintroduced themselves to Jews in America, mm-hmm. let alone African Americans.
0: So how do you feel that we can use Israel as a as a tool to, well, I mean, to begin to, to bridge that gap? Yeah,
2: I mean, number one, the I mean, the 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 truth about Israel, that Israel is a country of immigrants of people who are fleeing from what you would consider white supremacy. You know, that, I mean, that's what they're leaving. 100%. That's what they're, they're, they're running from. So that narrative gets lost when you have the eighth largest economy. You know, that narrative gives, gives lost when you have one of the greatest militaries, you know, ever created in human history, you know. And the technology and the innovation that's coming out of Israel, that gets lost. If you remember, Martin Luther King was a very big advocate of Report, Israel. We're
0: literally... One block from Martin Luther King Street. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's it's a... the only Martin Luther King Street <coughs> in America. Really? Mm-hmm.
1: It's in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm.
2: So I mean that that's that's been the historical narrative. So I think now that the African American community, I mean, they're still the Jewish community now. Their issue is APAC, right? Their issue is pol- politics. It's a multi-trillion dollar economic movement and these types of things, and but. The African American community is looking at it like, wait, these people are just marching with us 30, 40 years ago and now they have an army and we're still fighting against police brutality. What's wrong here? Oh, you know what's wrong? The Middle Eastern, the Arab comes in and says, you know what's wrong? Actually, the whole time they were white supremacists and they came and and they partnered with America, the same people who oppressed you, they partnered with them and, and, and now they built this country, and you know who they're oppressing? Brown people like you, you know? And black people like you over in the Middle East. And that's what it is, and you need to fight against this with us, because if this injustice continues, slavery could come back, you know? And, and this whole thing, and I, and I will say this, this has been one of the most uh, impactful experiences I've had since I've been in, You know um in israel because you know my parents are pretty are are very like liberal you know what i mean like they're very much like into community organizing and social justice not in the international front but on a local standpoint they're in education but i would say like when i first came here to israel it was a mind-blowing experience i met a journalist for the israeli times this is girl we're hanging out a little bit but she was telling me about this palestinian guy who's running for mayor and and there was not only was he running for mayor there was a constituents of palestinians that were like yeah, we need to get politically involved. You know this whole thing. And so what happened? Hamas and even other radical groups that are not even here, even like in Lebanon, they told the guy if he continues on with this, they're going to kill him and his entire family.
0: Yeah, and I so he t- when that so happened. he dropped
2: out. But that was the beginning of me doing my own inquiry. On what is going on over here because majority of the Muslim people are very similar to the, the Muslim people I because I grew up in the valley and there's a lot of Persian Muslims that live in the valley and they were also running from Islamic oppression when the Shah fell and Khomeini took over they came to America the ones that were wealthy the ones that are wealthy enough to leave and so I started to see the same narrative over here in Israel see meaning that you have all these Palestinians you have all these Palestinians that want to work They want to send their kids to go to medical school. I met this girl who just, uh, this Palestinian girl who just became a doctor, you know? I want to hit on something, okay? Do you feel that being an African American in Israel has
0: allowed you to transcend certain social boundaries here and communicate on behalf of Jews to, to other Palestinians and Arabs in a way that maybe other Israeli Jews have
2: been able to do? Yeah, 100%, and I think the people that need to be spoken to the most are white liberals in America because they're the ones who are perpetuating this this narrative to African Americans and even other Arabs that fled. Most of the Arabs you see in America on college campuses, their families fled Islamic right. oppression. That's why they're in America to begin with. But the, the white liberals are the ones who are reinforcing this idea that Israel is this apartheid state and, and it's and it's subjugating these people to this tyranny and it's just not true. The Muslim world as a whole is under tyranny of radicalism. Whether you're in Somalia, I have tons of Somalian friends that live up in Toronto. They told me that during the 70s, their families, they were on the beach wearing bikinis. They weren't wearing hijabs, mm-hmm. they weren't scared. You So, and I used to work for the American Refugee Committee, you know, with this U.S. State Department. And that was one of our issues, dealing with the refugees that were leaving Somaliland, going into the Dadaab, Kenya, which is the largest refugee camp. But these people were fleeing Islamic tyranny. And it breaks my heart when you see these Congress people, like this lady Omar, and, and even the, the, the Palestinian lady. Shia leave. Uh, yeah, over in Minnesota, wherever she's at. These people, they're not, they're not defending the average Arab Muslim person that just wants to live, express themselves, listen to Drake, you know, listen to, you know, wear the, some cool clothes, you know, these different things. They just want to live like normal Americans, but in their countries. So listen, I, we have to wrap up soon. Yeah. I feel like you, need, you might need to give a
0: shout out to some of your boys that are here, that aren't in the room with us right now. Uh, but like, uh, tell us a little bit about your crew here in Israel really quickly.
2: So, it's a big crew. Actually, I want to give a shout out, speaking of crew, to uh, my uh, uh, Torah study partner, Amari Stademeyer. We we know him as Jehoshaphat. He was actually a Talmud. uh, He's learning over at Orsameha with us. But he just came out with a video. I don't know if you guys saw his viral video. We did. We saw it. It was was very cool. It was very cool. And he's telling, you know, African-Americans, you know, you know, you guys, there, there's some Jewishness inside of you. You know, there, hmm. there's, there's some Jewishness inside of you. Did you see this Instagram post? Yeah, it was very and, good. And when you're attacking a Jew, you're fighting your brother that's trying to keep the Torah in the Mitzvah. But see, that's what I was trying to get
0: at earlier with you. And yeah. I'm glad that you went straight to Mare because I didn't think that you necessarily would. Mm-hmm. But like, there is a shared destiny between the two communities. Yeah. I mean, like, in a shared birth, because we were birthed out of slavery. Yeah. I mean, why do you think it's taken so long for that message to get
2: out? I can't explain why it took so long. Hashem's in control of everything, and there's a timing for everything. But I will say that African Americans and even Jews, all Jews of color, have a social, especially today with today's climate, have a responsibility to advocate for their European brothers in 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 the Jewish community as a whole to really debunk these misconceptions that exist. Israel is a place that when I hear a cop siren, I don't get nervous. In America, I'm going to get nervous and I'm from the suburbs, you know? I've never committed a crime in my life. I don't even have a parking ticket to my name. But here in Israel, this is like family. This is a place of healing. This is a place of recreation and it's open for everybody. You know, it's open for everybody. And so the African American community is being manipulated to not be able to take on something or, or experience something that benefits them. This is a place for minorities to recreate themselves, to reheal themselves, you know, from the tyranny of white supremacy. And, 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 and don't forget that the slave trades, you know, the Muslims are the ones that brought the slaves over to America, you know, and I'm not dissing anybody. I'm not saying the Muslim guy today who I see at the Shuk has any, you know, you know, responsibility for that, but I'm still saying that the ideology that the Jews had to get away from to come to Israel to recreate themselves through the tyranny is the same thing that the African Americans went through too. So like Adam is saying, like there is a shared destiny, there is a connection, and like people like Amari, you have um, um, Nassim Black, who's who's a great friend of mine. We just did an HBO special. I saw that it was great. You could you could check it out yeah. online if you type in Nassim Black and Vice. is with Vice, which is normally pretty left-wing, but they, they did a great job in telling this story about... You had a
0: guest appearance. I
2: had a guest appearance in it, you know, worked out randomly, you know. But, um, so yeah, so there's a big crew. I, I will say there's probably close to like 15, you know, uh, African-American religious Jewish men uh, in, in contact with like on a daily basis. We have our own chat that we're talking about, and if you can hear the discussions in this chat, it's completely pro-Israel, it's completely about inclusion. And really, we, we really are asking the community for financial support to be able to create more imagery and to, and to create a platform where we can engage the non-Jewish world and even the liberal world and really bring a different perspective because many Jews that are on the left never physically been to Israel. You know, they haven't physically been here. So, um, you know, we're looking to, you know, find partners and to raise money to be able to create imagery and to create a uh, a platform so we can engage the world in and really debunk the misconceptions that lead to anti-Semitism.
1: Listen, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Mordechai Ben Avram. Thank you for having me. This is In the Blue Corner, the podcast of the Israel Innovation Fund. If you'd like to help us and make more of these podcasts, you can plant a vine at wineonthevine.org and that money will go to help uh, the Israel Innovation Fund's cultural efforts, including the In the Blue Corner podcast. I'm David Hazzoni. I'm Adam Scapellos, And this is In the Blue Corner. Thank you.